Okay, quiet on the set, everybody. Stand by. Roll camera. Speed. Roll sound. Speed. Market. And cue talent. Hello and welcome. I am your host, Art Aldridge. You may be like, who? Yes, Art Aldridge, your host of This Week in Production. Where have I been? I'm about to tell you. This Week in Production is produced by Art Aldrich. The thoughts and opinions expressed here are undoubtedly his own. You can reach Art at thisweekinproduction at gmail.com. You can also leave a voice message for Art at 601-564-TWIP. That's 601-564-8947. This is Don McGee. To book me for voiceovers, please call 908-451-6760. Thanks. Since the last episode of TWIP, which was around the 13th of December, we were completing the last of a hectic year of corporate golf outings. We wrapped on December 13th in Los Angeles. I headed home. And since that time, for about eight weeks straight, I've been doing nothing six days a week but editing. My task was to get my 17 events cut and at least through the first round of approvals before I leave for Iditarod. Yes, you heard right. I am going back to Alaska in person in about a week's time. I'm not going to get too deep into Iditarod on this podcast. I will have more episodes next week and the following weeks from Alaska going into all those fun details. But it was a deadline that I knew I needed to get these edits done by. And I put my head down, my nose to the grindstone, and I I cranked, and I literally cranked out these edits. And these are not super, super technical edits. They're not super, super complex. They're not, you know, basics, but, you know, multicam, three or four cameras, audio on remote recorders and lavaliers and booms and isolated recordings. And, you know, I multicam them together and I, you know, produce a very nice feature doc style edit for each one of these events for all the people who participate. It's a lot of deliverables. It is a lot of time. It requires concentration. It requires uninterruption from any other component because if you get interrupted in any part of this process it's very easy to just put it on the back burner and that's where I've been for eight weeks is heads down nose to the grindstone nothing but editing it's given me some time to reflect on my edit system and Final Cut Pro And just all the things that, you know, go into making your daily work smooth. The Mac Pro, which coincidentally, I just made my buyout payment on my lease, two-year lease. And I made my $95 buyout on it, so I own the system outright. Um, The question is, of course, what will happen? with the M1 Mac Pro or the M2 Mac Pro or whatever they decide to call it. 
I don't know. Here's where I do notice the Mac Pro being a little slower than my M1 MacBook Pro. Audio waveforms. Audio waveforms are still my nemesis. When I cut these uh, golf edits, I used the tools that I have available to me to make the work quicker. Things like audio rolls, things like lanes, audio lanes, and, and it helps me do mixes and I do a lot of filtering of background noises using Isotope RX Denoiser, and it works great little bit processor intensive, but Final Cut absolutely chokes on the waveforms. And it's a shame because it is the part of my process that I do repeatedly, multiple, multiple times a day, and I'm waiting on the machine. It is better. It is better on the laptop, the M1 Max, not going to lie which is a little bit of a rub. It is just not convenient for me to plug the laptop in instead of the Mac Pro to all my systems, my drives, my monitors. I could do it. It's, it's not as convenient. And I do need the laptop sometimes to be portable. So I've been not doing that um, on a regular basis. So I'm suffering through working on the Mac Pro with the mixes especially. So that's a little bit of a pain point. But, you know, thinking about workflow and efficiency and doing everything that you can do, and there are many things you can do to make your process go smoother. You know, little things, repetitive tasks. If I can simplify the duration of a task by eliminating keystrokes or processes, right, it makes everything move better. For example, I take sometimes 32 timelines, 32 projects. I need to send them out for compression to H.264. If you take the time, and it's only a few minutes, but you go into compressor, you make a preset default for your compressor setting. You make a preset default for your location where you want to store them. If you do those things ahead of time, and then you go and send said 32 jobs to the compression engine, it will be faster not having to individually decide where it has to go and the setting it has to use. And that's like a little thing that is so easily overlooked, ignored. Uh, it's not worth the hassle, but when you do things repetitively, multiple times, multiple times, multiple times, it is a huge time saver to do it ahead of time. So I try and be as efficient as I can with my keystrokes. There are other things that you can do. For example, I have a small, well, I have, let me rephrase that. I have multiple Stream Deck uh, pads. These are little customizable hotkey uh, surface controls that you can program through the software to do keystrokes, different things, shortcuts. And I've been using them mainly for live streaming, but 
there were things that I was doing in the edits that were repetitive that, you know, it would take me two or three keystrokes to do. And with a very simple programming command, you know, through the Stream Deck interface, I could put two or three processes on a button and have that execute when I pressed said button. Things like making the track size bigger and turning off the video thumbnails to be all audio. Because I like to see that when I do mixing. I don't want to see the video. I just want to see the, the audio waveform as big as I can. I can assign that to a button, and it saves me two keystrokes. Again, may not seem like a big deal in a short one-off, but when I'm doing 32 of these, it can be very, very uh, efficient to use these devices. And there's lots of ways to do it. Sometimes it's about having the right surface to do what you want to do. I actually bought a couple of years ago a very nice surface called the Loop Deck. And it was when it was made for Final Cut Pro. It had a nice jog wheel and a bunch of knobs to do like color correction. Honestly, I bought it. I tried to program it two or three times. Couldn't really get it to work the way I wanted it to. It sat on the shelf ever since. And this was not a cheap surface. The Stream Deck has been great, very inexpensive, a uh, hundred bucks for the little one, maybe a little more for the bigger ones. Very easy to program, and I use it now all the time with Final Cut Pro. And and the great thing is you can use it for multiple, multiple software applications, not at the same time, but you can jump. You have sets. I can have a set for live streaming. I can have a set for Final Cut, or anything else that I want to do. So I've been trying to be efficient in my editing using different tools, using the automations in Frame.io is a big part of my workflow. Frame.io Transfer now is a new tool that, you know, in, in Final Cut, one of the little pain points with Frame.io, and I love Frame.io, uh, so far I have not seen it uh, become a casualty of Adobe, which is good, though, my breath is being held slightly for that. But uh, you cannot send multiple projects to Frame.io. You can only send them one at a time, which, again, is a little bit of a pain point for me. But if I send them to Compressor using my preset, default preset H.264 compression, I could drop the whole batch in Frame.io transfer and upload them in one shot. So... Almost as good, but again, little things that you can do, watch folders, all those things make you a better, more efficient editor, and I'm all about efficiency. I try to be as efficient as I can. So I've been editing, I've been heads down in the editing, I've come up for air. Um, you know, one of the things that I always do, and I usually have events in January, because of the COVID in, in in this year, we didn't have January events. We knew where they were going to push them to February. February got pushed to March. March got pushed to April. Now they're in May. But I usually get my schedule right after those January events for the year for the golf work. And I like to share that out with the crew. And this year, there was like a delay. We had some dates, but we couldn't confirm them all. And they went back and forth a couple times with all the different PGA and LPGA pros that 
have to be scheduled around. And of course, that leads to some frustration I get for the crew. We are all trying to plan our calendars, our years. You know, I try to book my summer vacation around breaks in the schedule. Last year, you know, there were no breaks. We just went straight hard from, you know, July to December. This year, we were hoping the schedule was going to be spaced out a little bit more. The initial draft looked good, like they were going to start in March. March is a little problematic for me because I take some of my golf guys and we go up to Alaska, you know, Mr. Schlicht and Mr. Chartrand. So March is not always a great time for me to have golf events, but there were two that were on the calendar initially. They got uh, moved around and, and there is no conflict now, but that hope of starting in March and, and spreading out the events started to wane, of course. And then I wasn't able to really get a solid commitment of on dates from the client. You may have heard something in the news about a pretty famous golfer. He's one of the, he was one of the PGA pros that my client had uh, engaged in a sponsorship deal. And he's been in the news and he's no longer in the corral of pros that this company sponsors. And that was the reason that the schedule was being held up. And of course, now it's almost uh, March. We still don't have a schedule locked down, but at least we know there's going to be some more vacancies in the schedule. Um, it's kind of a, it's been a long, good road for the most part with this golfer. I mean, you know, it started out, he was the first one and uh, we built a bunch of events around other golfers based on the model we developed for this particular golfer. And now he's done, you know, 15 years or so. And uh, he's, he's out. And of course, for me, from a business standpoint, that's a monetary hit. I'm not going to lie. It's not, not a little hit. It's a pretty big hit. And it's a big hit for my guys. There's at least four dates that are off the calendar um, for this year. No one knows exactly what's going to happen. But, um, you know, it was sort of a, a weird thing to wrap up my my editing work with because I just finished editing a bunch of the events that this golfer was in now those edits are unknown as as to whether to ever see the light of day hard to say and I can't really say too much more about it other than it is a weird weird time and uh, that's what's been happening um, you're going to hear more about Iditarod and you know, live streaming over the next few episodes. I probably will be doing multiple episodes for the next few weeks. There's a lot of stuff going on with the live streaming of the Iditarod this year that I'll go into. And uh, I'll share some more tidbits on things that are going to happen uh, on the way out of Iditarod for me that are exciting. So, so that's the update from this week in production. I'm Art Aldridge. I'll see you next time. Do you have something to say? 
drop me an email at thisweekinproduction at gmail.com. Or even better, call our new TWIP voice mailbox and leave us a message. 601-564-TWIP. That's 601-564-8947. Also, a reminder that This Week in Production is available on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. So please subscribe to get every episode. Lastly, if you like what you hear, would you mind giving me a rating or a review? I'd appreciate that. Okay, that's a wrap on This Week in Production. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.